So, uh, as I was saying to the children, it gets to about quarter past three on a Christmas day, and I look at Tim, Janice's cousin, and we say, well, there it is. That's it for another year. And it is, I guess. I don't know whether there's much turkey left for your sandwich at lunchtime, but there might be just enough. We have spiced beef with our turkey and there's plenty of that left, but I'm keeping my eye on it in case somebody jukes a wee slice before I get the last one. It's time to look at that pile of presents and wonder, when are you going to read all those books, Steve? Or, nice coat, Janice, when she puts that away in her wardrobe. And the crib, we'll find a place for it and it'll disappear for another 11 months or so. We put Advent away. I think that's a shame because as I've said before, like wizard, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Not in necessarily the feeding of face or opening of presents, but in these stories that are rich and what they might teach us. So this morning, I guess I want to take the crumbs from the stuffing and just ponder a few things about Christmas because if we think it's all over then we are wrong Joseph in the reading that we've had after the Advent stories are over he had to get up and go first of all he went to Egypt and now we're hearing he comes back to Israel and finds where it is that they're going to bring up this baby born it's not over for Mary and Joseph it's just beginning It's not over for the baby Jesus. It's just beginning. And when we come into the passage in Galatians, we see that everything has changed. And it's not over, but just begun. So a few thoughts. One, the changing of lives. Lives are changed because of this event. Mary's life was changed. The moment she said, I am the Lord's servant, Her life was changed forever. When she committed to God's will, no matter what, no matter what the other people thought, no matter about her reputation, no matter what it might cost her, when she committed, and we'll come back to that later on, nothing would be the same again. It wasn't over. It had just begun. Joseph's life was changed. When he listened, when he listened to how it really was as opposed to how he thought it was, when he did what wasn't expected of him, but what he knew was right, when everyone else thought he was wrong, but he followed what he heard, his life was changed. And he was prepared to leave everything and take flight as a refugee to save the saviour from the death squads that I go on and on and on about sent by Herod whose life was changed because he knew from the very scriptures himself themselves he knew what had just happened and how that was going to if he allowed it to affect his life he knew the baby born wasn't it over so he tried to make sure that it was over By killing all those little babies under two. Because it threatened his comfortable life. It threatened his rule for his own ends. 
It threatened the very empire that somehow he was in cahoots with. He knew that the Messiah would change his life and transform the world. So he tried to stamp it out. The shepherds' lives were changed. Even though they didn't know the scriptures and were from around Bucknar or somewhere and were a wee bit antisocial. The mystical eastern stargazers, their lives were changed. Even though they didn't have the scriptures or were of the line of Abraham. Because they entered the presence of God. And if you remember back two days ago, we ripped that curtain from the crib. Because it was a pictorial prophecy of that moment when Jesus' death would tear that curtain in two. And we as human beings could go into the Holy of Holies, not once a year, but live actually in that presence. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but of everlasting life. Lives were changed. And how were they changed? What does the change bring? Well, that moment out on that hillside, when those angels appeared to those shepherds, do not be afraid. If you remember back to our Bethlehem Rhapsody on Christmas morning, if you haven't seen Bethlehem Rhapsody, it's all over Facebook. Bohemian Rhapsody with new words. There's a wonderful moment where the wee puppet shepherd is quaking as the angel appears to sing him that song. One of the highlights, I think, of the entire plot. But what happens? The angels say, say do not be afraid, I bring you good news. That's how all Caesar's decrees would have been brought. I bring you good news. The subversive poetry of the alternative kingdom coming in right at the start of the Gospels. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. We'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and in a manger. Suddenly then the singing starts. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those in whom his favour rests. So what was this saviour coming to bring? The angels were saying this saviour was coming to bring peace on earth. Peace on earth. That struck me last Christmas, I think. My favourite band, Over the Rhine. They have a song about this peace of Christmas. And as they sang about this peace at Christmas, I suddenly realised that that was what The deal was peace. And if you look that up in your good commentaries, you will find that that peace is in three ways. It's a personal peace, it's a material peace, and it's a political peace. The baby has come to bring peace. Shalom, Old Testament word of well-being, of wholeness, salvation. Peace. Now I come from, or I am the member of a church where peacemaking is part of the DNA. Vatican Peace Prize, back wall. People talk about Fitzroy in that light when there's a group coming from America. Clonard Fitzroy, peacemakers. 
But when Ken and Father Jerry started that journey of peacemaking, they were seen as some kind of heretics on the edge of both Catholicism and Presbyterianism, actually. And you wonder, how could that be? I go back to my friend Sammy Horner, the musician, who says, Ach, Stucky, he says, Northern Ireland Christians know the scriptures, or know their theology, they just don't read the scriptures. Because right here at the start of the story is this message coming from heaven that this is all about peace. Personal peace. Dennis and Marjorie last week, last Sunday, lit the fourth candle. And I quoted how in hospital last summer, Dennis shared with me that because you, you really don't want to be, I don't think, the doctor that looks after Dennis Goff because he's the one who knows more than you do. Dennis is a very um, intelligent, well-read medic. So I can imagine these poor doctors coming around to tell Dennis what was wrong with him and Dennis kind of saying, well, you're almost right, but if you can actually read that again, this is actually what the problem is. Nothing was getting past Dennis. And so when Dennis said to me, Steve, there's none of the information coming back to me that gives me any reason for hope or peace, but I have it right in the depths of my being. You knew you were talking about a peace that the world did not understand or could not give him because it was the peace, I think, that the angels were singing about. A peace that's personal, that can come in the midst of circumstances that don't seem too peaceful. A peace that comes when we know we're doing what we were meant to do in the world. A peace that comes when the void that the world seems to throw up is met in our lives. A peace that comes when we know we're living life and life in all its fullness. Personal peace the baby came to bring. One of the gifts that we can open is that as we meet and connect in the seeming holy of holies with this baby Jesus, our lives can be changed because we can know a personal peace. But the personal peace is not the end of the paragraph or the chapter or the book because there are other peace, material and political that we then become involved in. I love those verses in Jeremiah 29. A people in exile, <clears throat> not really quite at home in where they are because they're in Babylon. And we, Peter McDowell has written a whole <clears throat> book and treatise on this idea of we are those in exile. Those who do, just don't quite fit in the world that we're in. There's some of the cultural things going on around us that aren't part of our cultural thing. Jeremiah speaks into a people in exile and he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there and do not decrease. Also, seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When Four Corners met last year to try and work out what we were all about, after three years we thought that might have been a good idea, we had this slogan that's based basically around these verses, that we were there to make Belfast a place of peace and prosperity. But then we get a little frightened about the word prosperity because of what all that means in Christianity in these days. We didn't want to be that prosperous gospel that says if you follow this, you will become this. So when we sought some way of dealing with these words, we came to really conclude that the prosperity that Jeremiah was talking about, the peace that the angels were singing about in a material way, was the well-being of everybody in the city. The well-being in mind, the well-being in body, the well-being in material need. We need to be those who listen to what the angels sang about because that process of peacemaking in a material way is not over when we put the crib away, but the work starts as we become those that are about the material well-being of the city that we live in. How do we do that this year as a congregation? Food bank. What about this building we have in Donegal Pass? What about a relationship with Mornington? What about the refugees that might come into our area? What about that school in Botanic with so much need and gave us so much over the Christmas season? Being about the peace, the well-being, the material well-being of the city, the country and the world. And then that political peace. Jesus would say later on, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. I say that this crib, these stories that Matthew and Luke brought into their editorial that Mark and John didn't, that right here in this crib, and actually most of the straws now out on the floor, but we'll deal with that when we put the crib away, everything that Jesus would later teach is right here. It's right here in this story. Treasure up Where do you store your treasure? Well, this tells us not in a palace. And what about these words? Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. When you're at enmity, you move first. You're the one who reaches out. You're the one who's born. You're the one who comes into their midst to love those you're at enmity with. To do good to those you're at enmity with. To bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Will this baby know any of that mistreatment? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's all in the crib. When we read the rest of the stories, we can find it all in this manger. And there are the words that we need to take on to Stormont Hill in the city council. Onto those streets that are still fractured. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you in one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. 
peace. Crumbs from the stuffing of Christmas. Bringing peace personal, material and political. And let me finish because I promised on Facebook this would be a sermonette. So we'll keep it as a sermonette. Let's go back to the key woman in the midst of this story. Never forgetting that it's women that are there at the birth. Mary and Elizabeth are key to it. And when we get to the resurrection, it's women that are there as well. Mary, in this story, has got one word which is commitment. Commitment. Lives are changed. Our lives are changed. Peace is what we want to see personally, materially, and politically. And if we want to move on from this story, if we don't want to put it back and leave it for another year, then the commitment that Mary shows right the way through her journey of this, and Tom Miller did a wonderful August evening a couple of years ago up in the halls about this commitment that Mary had, not only in the birth narratives, but right throughout her entire life in the Gospels. This commitment of Mary's is the example that we all need to take with us into the last few days of this year and more importantly, symbolically, into a new year. Not leaving these stories behind, but taking these stories in our hearts and souls with us. Mary committed. She had no idea what she was committing to. She was confused about what she was committing to. She knew that it was going to be traumatic, but she had no idea. She pondered these things in her heart. It tells us in these nativity stories. But she committed. And once she committed, then God was able to do all that God had planned to do, as Galatians tells us. So what about us this Christmas? What is it that we might need to commit to? Now we might be thinking about a lot of things. We might be pondering some things. I could do with getting a wee bit more involved in that. Or I could do with just giving myself a wee bit more to that. I'm thinking that maybe, do you know, while we talk about it and while we ponder it in our heads, nothing's going to happen. The first thing that needs to happen is we need to say we're going to do it. So I'm back to one of my mantras that I can't get away from. The climber, W.H. Murray, via Bob Geldof, about commitment. With a whole lot of Calvinism wrapped up in it. As the Christmas story comes to an end for another year, as we eat our last turkey sandwich, and I know you're going to be eating your last turkey sandwich remembering this sermon. Not that there's much to remember in it, but you might well remember this part of it. Maybe you've eaten your last turkey sandwich. Well, here's the thing. Lives transformed to bring peace. Mary's commitment. It wasn't a silent night, even though we still like the hymn. As Shannon sang for us here in Fitzroy and up in Clonard, it was a night when a teenage girl was screaming in birth pains as she gave birth away from her family. It's quite a story. 
commitment. Here's what W.H. Murray says about commitment. Listen carefully. This may sound too simple, but is of great consequence. What is simple and of great consequence? Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. Might do that. I should do that. I think I will do that. I must talk to Steve about that. I must, I must maybe talk to, yeah. Until one is committed, there is hesitancy. The chance to draw back, and it's always ineffective. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and indeed splendid plans. That at the moment one definitely commits oneself, providence moves too. At the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. A whole stream of events issue from the decision, raising in one's favour all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, material assistance, which no man or woman could have dreamt could have come their way. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Once one definitely commits, then providence moves too. A whole stream of events issue from that decision. Mary. Once she committed, providence could move too. A whole stream of events took place that meant that in 2015, we would be gathered together in a wee church in Belfast to talk about these events. Did Mary ever imagine that? She just committed. The things in my life that have made some difference started with a commitment that I had no idea where it would go. Whether that was back in 2000 and saying, hmm, maybe I should take a few people to South Africa to celebrate the millennium. Or whether it was a cup of coffee with Father Martin McGill and saying, here we should start a festival. As if we could. And in those moments of commitment, In those moments of commitment, a whole series of things took place that we could never have envisaged. Let's build an extension out here. Will we commit? Yeah, let's commit. We're going to need a big loan, but we'll commit. Walk through it. Could we have imagined What would have happened two years ago when all we did was commit? So before we pack it away for another year, what is it? What is it that if you commit right now, we have no idea what God's providence could do the way Mary had no idea the way Joseph had no idea, what could it be? Let's commit to following this baby out of the manger and into our world. Let's pray together.
Lord, there are truths in this story that change lives and transform communities and build hope in the world. And sometimes, Lord, it is absolutely true that we don't see some of that. And it makes it easy then to doubt some of that, or even at times all of that. So we ask you this morning to dig deep in our souls with what we need to commit to. Because when we commit, things change. It's why the baby, when he grew up, looked at people and said, follow me. Follow me. Commit. Peter, James, John, Andrew. Commit. Lord, by your spirit, may we know what to commit to and may you give the courage that you gave Mary. Whisper to us as well as follow me those other do not be afraid words that when we commit we might see God at work even through us. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.